opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami for a special July 4th episode on the American dream and what makes the U.S. housing market unique. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Logan, welcome to the special July 4th edition of the podcast. Yes, July the 4th. Gotta love it. I know. And I just want to say, we did not even coordinate. You're wearing red and I'm wearing white and blue. What are the chances? That's crazy. I, I, I think the chances are good with us. We have the same mindset on this topic. So. <laughs> we, we are uh, repping our colors today. I really wanted this to be uh, a specific, specifically focused on sort of the American dream, right? It's July 4th. You're a guy who's talked a lot about um, what you think makes us special, unique, different, um, and has really benefited homeowners, people in this industry. So, so here's my first question to you. In your mind, what are the distinctives of the U.S. housing system that are really an advantage for us? In, in generally, our uh, kind of plumbing system here in, in, in America is different than others uh, because of Freddie and Fannie and the ability for us to provide uh, long-term fixed uh, debt products uh, gives us such an advantage. And this is, you know, the, the government kind of looks at housing as something as what, what they believe to be forced savings, like people that buy a home and you pay your principal down and then over time, you know, you, you, you create um, uh, equity in that. But for me, it's always been, in this case, you have to look at it as a fixed debt cost. And then as time goes by, your, your wages rise and then also, you know, the the equity portion in terms of helping you buy another house or, you know, uh, uh, later on in life, if you wanted to downsize or even if you just wanted to stay in your house for the rest of your life. I always thought that that fixed debt cost aspect doesn't ever get a lot of love and attention uh, because people so much focus on prices and but the payment is actually what uh, uh, matters the most. And I think other countries... They don't have the plumbing system as we do, so they have a lot of short-term rates. And for the longest time, you know, they were said, "Oh, our, our rates are uh, lower and shorter than uh, uh, than you guys." And but guess what? Now that short-term rates are rising everywhere, uh, uh, there's some panic uh, from homeowners in, in in other countries where our homeowners are just chill, you know. And uh, that's why I've always tried to stress. 
that if lending standards are just normal, which to me is still very liberal, um, that fixed debt cost, and as you age every single year and you have your families and your wages rise by the time you're in your 40s and 50s, kind of your peak earnings years, your total housing cost in relationship to your wages uh, is low. And we see that. We see that here. You know, we, we were just talking about that, how the Federal Reserve doesn't understand why aren't people listing their homes, you know, and uh, the, the, you're, you're trying to take an advantage of the United States of America and its people away when uh, uh, it has been one of the uh, building blocks of not only the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history, but also the COVID-19 recovery model. And also here, you know, this is, you know, this, this sector has been tested three times, right? COVID, forbearance, the biggest crash, and the homeowner has adamantium, titanium steel surrounding them, and it blocks them against the massive rate hikes and long-term rates jumping up on inflation. Uh, uh, and it worked, right? It worked. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm very adamant about credit channels and inventory channels. The U.S. long-term fixed product is, is a blessing uh, in this country and one of our strengths. It's you know It's been um, federal policy almost since the beginning to really – um, support home ownership. If you think about it, you know, we had a lot of land and, and part of the, you know, go West was like, go as long as you like tame the land, as long as you, um, you know, we'll make improvements on the land, you can have it for free. And, and some, you know, at different times in our um, history. And then when did the, when did the real, like, we want to promote home ownership through tax breaks and things like that? I mean, when did that start? You know, I mean, when I, when I think of the U S after World War II, GI Bill, you know, uh, creating Freddie and Fannie to to kind of securitize this. Um, things have changed so much over time, but people forget that the 1970s had major uh, inflation and higher rates, but housing was booming back then. Why? Because back then the boomers were where the millennials were now. Uh, household formation and kind of the same skit. We rent, we date, we mate, we get married. Three and a half years after marriage, we have kids. And that foundation has been here for decades, uh, uh, you know, in the going from the 60s to the 70s and 80s. And what's occurred is that as the growth rate of inflation has fallen, uh, economic growth has slowed down, the, uh, the uh, rates around the world have actually uh, come down. And what it's done is, in it, almost in an unfair advantage, people are just had been refinancing their debt and their wages keep on rising. And it's almost not fair. Like I, I always tell people, it's not fair some of the uh, uh, economic benefits that homeowners have uh, compared to not just renters, but in this in uh, against other countries. And that and that was the whole premise of the sixties and seventies to get people uh, to buy homes to get the debt payment fixed, and it, it really worked. In the 70s, as, as a hedge against inflation. But even here, of course, we don't have the 70s type of inflation here now, but you can really see, you know, why people are just amazed. Why, why is the economy still expanding? Why? Because homeowners in America, uh, their cash flows are good. And as long as you make residential lending debt boring, boring is a good thing. That's what we want. Uh, uh, you see that what started kind of in the 50s and 60s, and now we're all the way coming up to uh, uh, this decade, uh, it, as long as 
residential debt is boring, it's a good thing and it, it pays off in the end. And I think that's that's the benefit of having that process start decades ago. And it's kind of evolved itself into this um, other you know, asset class, if people want to look at it that way. But it is true. We have $43 trillion of housing net worth in America with $30 trillion of nested equity on top of that. That's bigger than the you know, total GDP of China. So on top of the fixed payment, then you have this. And again, 42% of homes in America don't have a mortgage. So you could understand my it's not fair kind of premise. But again, it's all based on uh, debt being very vanilla, boring. Boring is a good thing. And and here we are. Um, the millennials for the for the for the longest time were actually were the biggest home buyers in America. Uh, as mortgage rates spiked, of course, they finance a lot of their homes more than uh, baby boomers. So that that has changed for them. But in general sense, you can see the protection uh, of of America is really around the household uh, formation of people who bought homes. This is one of the reasons that we talk about black home ownership because this advantage, this built-in advantage, this federally subsidized advantage, this you know uh, the American dream was not available to um, black Americans in the same way. I mean, not even close, right? I mean, not, not only did we have the history of slavery, but then you had uh, Jim Crow and then you had, you know, redlining. So there's this advantage has not been available to everyone until very recently. And we still have all that legacy. So I think that's important to note too. And it, it's one of the reasons that at Housing Wire, we, we talk about um, black home ownership. We talk about all of the different things that go into um, making this a, a space and an industry and a, and a way that um, is open and fair to everyone, we we really feel like that's important because that is one of the legacies of of housing in America. Is like there, it's been a great advantage for some people. It's been a complete disadvantage for others. Yes, and and black home ownership has been rising, and I and and again. In this case, it's really critical to emphasize you have to keep debt very vanilla. Um, I think those who've known me for the last 12 years, like one of my, you know, war cries have been that we do not ease lending standards in America for housing. Uh, it's very vanilla. We have FHA. We have all these products that are that are not hard to get if you're structurally uh, can qualify for a loan. And if you get people into housing in that sense, uh, and they're employed for a very long time, remember, most homeowners are always employed through every recession, uh, the benefits actually keep on getting better and better over time. And that's why it's, uh, you know, that's why the 30-year fixed product was created. When you start to deviate from that uh, with exotic loan debt structures or anything to facilitate home ownership, uh, in, in that context, uh, then uh, things could get uh, astray. Uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, a lot, a lot of people have always talked about, well, we're going to have this huge housing crash because uh, uh, there are so many investors into the system. Listen, we had massive investors during the housing bubble years, and we had a crash then because the exotic loan debt structures were facilitating the credit growth. We don't. We fixed all that after 2010, and we just keep constant with that. And now that we've seen, you know, 2020, 2021, and 2022, and then now 2023, we see the benefits of people being able to have at least a fixed housing cost. Of course, your insurance can go up, your property taxes can go up, depending on where state you live in, more or less. But 
uh, that fixed cost is really the dream, right? And that you can actually wake up every single morning and go to bed every single night and you know that payment is there. Uh, and, and that's why I value that over home prices. I know a lot of people, nested equity, all that stuff is great. But what do you do for me right now? That payment is there. That's the whole purpose of uh, the American housing ecosystem, fixed debt cost rising wages. You know, you you hint at it there, but I mean, one of the things, those exotic loan debt structures were um, were engineered to bring more people into home ownership. And so as a result, I mean, they definitely disproportionately impacted families of color who who were homeowners. And then those those households have had a harder time rebounding compared to others. So I, I do think that's a, a great point. I also think credit is, um, we're seeing some credit changes now where um, we're looking at how how you look at credit and you know what you consider in credit. And I think that that is opening up homeownership in a way that's safe and and can potentially expand it without, without the dangerousness that we saw in the past. As long as people are qualified with their job and income, um, we're good. Whether you open the credit box, you know, through FICO score changes or, uh, or um, let's say, assuming that you could have more people come onto the loan, um, to me, the core basis is the debt-to-income ratio. And I think for the longest time, a lot of people see these debt-to-income ratios that were high when they originated the loans, but then over time, that thing it gets better for the uh, household. And then, of course, when you refinance, I think that's the key: is that you know, if you want to open the credit box, you can't mess with the debt-to-income ratios. Uh, um, and there's always a risk of what we call late-cycle lending. Late-cycle lending is uh, whenever somebody gets the lowest down payment with the highest debt-to-income ratios or not a lot of reserves. And then the job loss recession happens, and if prices are falling, they don't have the selling equity. That's generally a risk always, but we can see this now. Um, now that we've fixed the lending system in America, um, we had an explosion of supply and distressed uh, uh, homeowners, you know, four years before the Great Recession actually started in 2005, 6, 7, 8. And now after 2010, we kept it very uh, boring and vanilla. This is why I, for, for the longest time in the previous decade, I've written time and time again, tight lending in America is a fabricated myth. Um, you can open the credit box for, cert for certain things, of course, but as long as we uh, uh, allow debt-to-income ratios to be normal and stable, uh, and we have low FICO score loans since 2008 with FHA, we get people in, and as long as they're employed, we're good. Uh, um, and, uh, I think that's, that's, that's been such a positive thing in the last three years with all the crazy things we've had to deal with and you can't advocate. And one of the reasons why I don't like bearish American citizens is that they hate housing so much. They hate housing so much because people are buying homes or having sex, they're having kids, they're living their lives and they have a fixed payment and it just drives these people insane. This is why a lot of uh, people want to see housing crash because the, uh, they, they want that dream to become a nightmare, uh, to fill that dark void. And get, listen, we just had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. It came from the COVID-19 recovery model based on you know household formation and housing let us out. And even with the biggest crash in home sales ever, that house stayed solid for all those homeowners. That's a positive for the United States of America. 
That is, you know, you talk about um, some of the advantages we have, and one of it is um, our young workforce, right? So talk about our population, but also what what we do on immigration and how that affects housing. You know, uh, a lot of countries around the world don't have a growing prime age labor force uh, population. Uh, Japan, of course, doesn't have it. Their population down. Europe doesn't have it. China doesn't have it. We have We have what I call a lot of replacement workers and consumers. That's our strength, millennials, Gen Z, and eventually Gen A. Other countries don't have that. A good example is the millennials and Gen Z together are bigger than the total population of Japan right now. So it, our population growth is slowing, of course, uh, but it's growing still. And we still have a lot of what I call replacement workers and consumers where uh, uh, other countries don't have that. And the benefit of that is when the boomers leave, Right, and then they uh, uh, need to get their uh, 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 job replaced by another worker. They also that other worker is a consumer as well. Uh, so when the baby boomers retire, they consume much less or differently than than they did as they were younger. Here we have a lot of younger people. This is why I did the whole rent, date, mate, marriage, sex thing. Years twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty four. This is how humans operate. And uh, um, whenever you are traditionally married, if you make enough money. Uh, you typically buy a house, and it shouldn't have been shocking to everyone that housing authentically broke out before COVID-19 hit us. I always stress that more than anything else. You go back and look at the data for uh, March, that was for the month of February, and we broke out in existing home sales, new home sales, housing starts, permits. Uh, the only bad thing was that home prices were accelerating a little bit too fast. But these, this is basically human life. This is, um, you know, we need oxygen, we need food, we need water, we need clothing, um, and we need somewhere to live. We need somewhere to live. You stood, um, when I first started editing you, which was in 2020, you you started writing for Housing Wire a really long time ago, uh, 2013, I think, but I didn't start editing you until um, 2020, when you came on as our lead analyst. And you talked a lot then about demographics. Like for you, demographics is one of the driving forces for housing, which makes total sense, but not a lot of other people were talking about it. And the years 2020 to 2024 were key. So tell me about that. So in the previous expansion, my main premise was that we were going to have the weakest housing recovery ever. And uh, uh, we have a lot of people ages, you know, 16 to 24 or 55 to 65. And they're more tied to renting financial profiles. But as we work our household formation data up, by years 2020 to 2024, taking the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, everything, we have this once-in-a-lifetime patch of uh, people ages 28 to 35, and they are going to run into their first-time homebuyers years, and they're going to give you a little bit of a kick uh, uh, in demand. And that's the time period I said, okay, if, if total home sales are ever going to get over 6.2 million, it's going to be this period of time. And it right on cue, right? Uh, it, it, it came right in uh, early 2020 because people buy homes, right? Uh, people need shelter. Uh, um, and if you look at like purchase application data, I've always said, we're never going to get three or hit, hit 300 in the purchase application data, you know, it was 500 at the peak of the bubble. It was like 100 at, at the low point. We'll never hit 300 until years 2020 to 2024. Right there, years 2020, we got into 300 in the first few weeks. So people buy homes and the household formation gets right there. Uh, uh, and that gives you a kick. Of course, the downside. 
Uh, total inventory had been falling for years very slowly, um, and there was a risk that if if inventory breaks to all-time lows, we're going to have what we call is forced bidding. Too many people chasing too few homes. And I think by now, people start to understand why uh, I, I was concerned the savagely unhealthy housing market. It's, it's not because we had a credit boom and bust. We, we lived through this, right? We just had the biggest crash in home sales in history, and inventory didn't skyrocket. And here we are today dealing with you know, the NAR's days on market is back to a teenager level and there's 156 million people working right now. And you take every generational buyer and they just want to find somewhere to live. And again, we're dealing with a forced bidding in parts of the U.S., even with affordability, even with mortgage rates at 7%. So unfortunately, we paid the price for not having enough product. But just imagine if home prices just grew like 1% to 4%. In 2020 and 2021, we would have had an awesome decade and everything would have been fine. But unfortunately, uh, we paid the piper uh, uh, for not having enough product and home prices accelerated out of control. Uh, of course, for homeowners, it's not uh, a problem. You know, their the rates are low. They've uh, their, their their payment went lower. Their equity went up. It's great for them. But for home buyers, and again, sellers are buyers as well. Uh, um, it, it's become a problematic situation, but still the footing is there, right? The foundation of that fixed debt cost uh, uh, for anybody that got in uh, it has been a benefit for the U.S. economy. You and I disagree on the mortgage rate lockdown, which we won't get into too much here. But what I would say is that even before any of this happened, um, you know, people were starting to stay in their homes longer and longer. It's a trend that happened. Now, we did see some movement with, you know, COVID-19, people moving to, you know, because of remote work. But in general, Americans seem to buy and, and stay longer than ever. I, I can't relate because, first of all, I was a military brat, so never stayed in a place. And I've I don't know. I've moved, I don't know, five times in three years, something like that. So this, I'm not typical, but, uh, and but I know. have lived, God, next year, I'm going to be living in this house for 20 years. Uh, uh, so I've lived in the same house for 19 years. So you and I both have uh, different uh, experiences, but um, you know, from 1985 to 2007, housing 10 years, five to seven years from 2008 to 2023, depending on who you listen to, it's 11 to 13 years. In some parts of the U.S. is 15, 18 years. And here I'm going on my 20th year next uh, April in 2024. Um, and part of that is, you know, fixed debt cost means that when you move, you, you have to move because you're qualified. And I think a lot of the credit structures that we've had in the early part of the century which all the confusion actually happens is that when we had the housing credit boom, uh, inventory was actually rising back then. Uh, still today, a lot of people don't uh, know or remember that, but we had active listings growing with active sales. We also had credit channels to where people can just do whatever they want. You could list your house and sell and buy another one. You didn't, you know, it, it, it was way liberal back then. So that data line should be almost X'd out of history. Because uh, we don't have those kind of credit channels anymore. What we do have is fixed debt products, people living in their homes and longer. But also, I think a big component of this that doesn't get talked about a lot is in 1975, the median square foot of a home is 1500. In 2014, the high point was 2700. And now, you know, I think it got down to 2000. We're, we're, we're uh, growing that back up again. 
But the problem is that uh, family sizes have gotten smaller and smaller over the decades. So a lot of the product, new product that we've been building is kind of one and done. You don't really need. I think a lot of people that are moving are moving from, you know, homes that were built in 50s, 60s, 70s that, that aren't very big. Uh, and, and they need more room. That makes sense. But if you're if you're building products that are suitable for a family of four, uh, unless you really need to move job or whatever uh, reasons you have, you're staying in, and it's it's been a financial benefit. Again, uh, uh, it's the the benefit of having a thirty year fixed mortgage. So you know, in business, we talk about um, having a moat around your business, right? Something having a product or service or or what you do is um is has more of a it's hard to get into you've kind of you've kind of protected yourself here as if you just look at geography one of the things you talk about is that one of our advantages is and we have built-in modes we have the Atlantic Ocean we have the Pacific Ocean we don't have enemies on our shores and we have a workforce uh, an immigrant workforce who, that wants to come in and and contribute to society and we're open to that T- talk a little bit about that you know without immigration uh, you know, going from the 1800s all the way to, to, to now, I mean, our workforce would be decimated. Uh, majority of all of our labor force growth now is going to be from uh, immigration. And, uh, uh, you know, luckily for us, that, that pause that we had during COVID uh, has rebounded back up again. Um, you the know, pause in uh, immigration? Yeah, we had a, we had a, we had a we had a, we had a slow point for about one or two years, and now it, it's uh, shot right back up, and we're going back to a normal trend. And this is good. And just in the case, you know, a society that's dying, uh, uh, eventually your, your your country doesn't have enough labor or or the growth. So luckily for the U.S., uh, we have a lot of young workers, which is good, and then we we still have a, a very healthy uh, uh, immigration system in terms of getting people in. So when the baby boomers finally leave and die off, we have something here still uh, where other countries, it's like, you know, Japan is a really good example. Japan was very anti-immigration for a long time. I mean, that's not how their culture uh, works, but Japan's dying. 40% of their population will be dead by the end of this uh, century. And uh, um, they're finally going, okay, we need workers. You know why? Because if a big portion of your workforce are old, you know, there's things, certain things, it gets harder and harder to do as you get older. So uh, they've opened up to immigration here. And again, it's, I think there's a understanding because so much of my work is job openings, you know, in the previous expansion, I was like, job opening is going to get the 6 million. But here are the COVID-19 recovery model was like, hey, job openings are going to get the 10 million. And we kept on saying that over and over again, and nobody would believe us. And then even with the, you know, we had these missed job reports in 2021 and people said, nobody works. Nobody wants to work. Everybody nobody, uh, no, uh, we're going to have an awesome labor recovery. And it's such a beautiful thing to see that, you know, Employment is so high and, and, and prime age uh, labor force growth for women are at all time highs and job opening still today is at 10 million because you can't you can bend some of the rules of economics, but you can't break them. And uh, the reason I always talk about death and sex is that they are very important factors in every country. And uh, if you have a growing population uh, and there's a portion of them that are leaving the workforce and then dying, you have to replace them. If you don't replace them, then you have pockets where it's very hard to uh, fill in the void. And uh, I think there was a, you know, people had just assumed, well, if we stop giving checks to people, people will go back to, no, most people are always working 
And it's just, you know, uh, that, that, that was a lie. We, we, if, if anything, here in America, we work too much. And now that, you know, all that is gone and we're still pulling these big job reports and job openings are still at 10 million, there, is, there, there was a realization, I would say, in the last 12 months, like, oh, man, we need labor. Either we have to, robots have to eventually take all the jobs or, or we need some productivity growth or we need labor. And I think that's, you, you, all of a sudden you hear that quiet, you know, there's no more of this uh, immigration fight in terms of, you know, people saying, hey, we do need labor. We need to find people to help us. And I think there's parts of the country that that are older than others, and it's harder for them to find replacement workers. And, uh, uh, and, and a lot of that is the growth that we've had in immigration recently, and the job numbers are kicking in. It's a positive. It's a positive for the U.S. You know, we, we are the most dynamic country in the history of the world. Look, we, we're not even that old. And look at all the things we have. We biggest military in the world, we have two oceans separating us from other people. We have friendly neighbors. We have the reserve currency. We have we're $171 trillion of financial assets in this country. Uh, and we have a young replacement workforce. You, you cannot beat this. Uh, um, I think maybe Cleopatra, when she was running Egypt, was uh, uh, dynamics back then. But here, uh, uh, it's us. And that's why I've always said all American bears have failed since 1790. Uh, cycles come and go, recessions come and go, but uh, this clan of bearish Americanism that has kept us for hundreds of years, every single one of them have fallen to this dark grave and they, we just keep on adding more and more people all the time. And Oh, it's beautiful, Sarah. It's great to watch, especially during COVID when a lot of people say, that's it, here comes a depression, everything to recover that fast uh, in such a fast fashion and to be here, to be the only people that, you know, April 7th, 2020, we're like, Oh, we're going to recover this year and everything. And this is going to happen. And a lot of this again is housing related, right? Uh, uh, household balance sheets look really good. Cash flow looks really good. Debt is very vanilla structure. So you saw the housing market uh, recover us in the COVID-19 recovery. I love it, Logan. You are bullish on a, on the U.S. That doesn't mean that you don't recognize when we have uh, recessions or depressions. You will always call those, but overall, you are bullish on the on the uh, American dream and uh, U.S. homeownership. Economic cycles come and go. Um, uh, the, the history of demagogues in America, you know, going back to 1790, the 1850s, especially, you know, the the Great Depression, you know, World War One, World War Two, uh, the seventies, um, and we've come out through all of this, and uh, we we are so unique in so many ways, uh, especially after post World War Two, and you can even see it now. I mean, the, the the irony right now is other countries in the world are still de- dealing with higher inflation, and their growth isn't uh, that great. Here, the growth rate of inflation is falling, and we. We're still having this expansion with even inflation and rates rising and people wanting to see a recession. And I, I just think the the dynamics of ourselves, even though we seem like we're fighting with each other, my most bearish American friends are still people that work for me because they're working, right? And they're as they're working, they're consuming goods and services, right? And and they don't know that they are fighting amongst themselves. Uh, uh, economic cycles come and go, right? Eventually, the population growth, we're going to be dying off, and that's something we'll deal with many decades from now. But for right now, man, the American muscle was our demographics, housing, you know, all these things have, have played it. And 
And it, it's, it's great. It's been wonderful to see. I got to tell you, it's just, I, I mean, I've been waiting for years 2020 to 2024, but to have all these things, COVID-19, you know, forbearance, you know, all these things happening for the U.S. to be so intact uh, um, and through this and to be able to document all this stuff as well uh, is it, just been a treat. It's been way too much for me, way too much fun for me to have. Logan, thank you for joining me on this special edition, special 4th of July edition. So you'll be on, that means three times this week on this podcast. I hope everyone goes out, has some, you know, I don't know, fireworks, American pie, popsicles, whatever you do uh, for July 4th. But thanks. Oh, by the way, everyone should still hug a forbearance crash, bro. If you (laughs) see one out there, you give them a hug and you say, it's okay. You wipe the tears off their face, right? And go, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, Uh, um, We've, we have a long list of people that thought they could defeat America and you're just going to go sit in your little corner out there. And you might see some of those at your at your family barbecue. This is what happens. We, you never know where they, where they are. But thank you again, Logan. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.